Hello, and welcome to the NeuroTwist podcast, where we talk about neurodiversity in the world of speech-language pathology and beyond, along with other therapy and neurodiversity-related topics. I'm your host, my name is Emily, and I'm a licensed speech-language pathologist working in the early intervention setting. I'm also an autistic person, and ever since receiving my diagnosis and learning about the incredible neurodiversity-affirming movement, I've been passionate about learning as much as I can, sharing as much as I can, and having amazing conversations, which is what we're here to do today. On today's episode, I am joined by Diane Robson from the blog and Instagram page, and next comes Elle, to talk about hyperlexia, what it is, how it relates to autism, and whether or not I might be hyperlexic. So I will let her introduce herself now. I'm Diane Robson. I write a blog called And Next Comes L. I'm a Canadian mom of two and a former piano teacher, and I'm really passionate about sharing about hyperlexia and educating people about what hyperlexia means and how to support hyperlexic kids both at home and at school. Thank you so much, Diane, for coming on today. I am so excited to have you here. Hyperlexia is such a big topic in my own therapy practice, even if parents don't realize it's a big topic, it definitely is because lots of our babies are hyperlexic. And it's definitely one that I think more and more therapists are starting to have questions about from a speech therapy perspective. And I I feel like increasing awareness of it is so important. But can you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in hyperlexia and got you started on this trajectory with your career? Yeah, for sure. So my son was identified as hyperlexic back in, uh, I think it was 2014. He was about five. And it was a term I had never heard of before. So of course I did what any person would do. I'd go home and Googled it because I was just like, what is this? Is this finally the term that I've been looking for? Because up until that point, I suspected my son was autistic. I suspected he was maybe gifted or something because he had taught himself to read so early, but I just never heard of this term hyperlexia. So when the psychologist mentioned this term for me and I looked it up, it just was like, an aha moment. It was like, oh my gosh, this is what it is. And then I started realizing there's not a lot of information about hyperlexia out there. Yes, I could find a definition. Yes, I could find some like research articles, but I couldn't find anything that was going to be practical to me as a parent. I'm like, what do I do with this term now that I know it exists? So at this time, I already had my website for a few years. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to pivot away from talking about kids activities and move more to putting out some information about hyperlexia and sharing it because guaranteed there's other people in the same shoes as me who are Googling hyperlexia and not really finding anything that's of value to them besides a definition, right? How can I support my kid? What kind of supports can he get at school? Those kind of things I couldn't find answers for. So yeah, that's what happened is just my son got identified as hyperlexic and I realized, hey, there's a lack of resources. And then I just tried to fill that gap. Can I ask, what was the avenue that y'all took to get your child identified as hyperlexic? Is that something that happens through the school system there? What's the process? Yeah. So where I live, I'm in Canada. And basically, I noticed that 
my son's language wasn't quite where it should be. Like I could have a better conversation with my two-year-old versus my four-year-old. And I was like, something seems a little off. And I wasn't sure what that could be. So I asked for a referral for an autism assessment and we got put on a wait list. And I think it was about 16 months before we eventually got in. And then, yeah, we did the autism assessment. He did like some IQ testing, all of these various things. And then, yeah, then he was identified as autistic and hyperlexic as well as hypernumeracy, which is usually together with hyperlexia, but not always. And was there anything that was offered to y'all in terms of support, like following that identification? No, (laughs) it it was. So my son was in kindergarten at that point. And even just to get some supports for him at school, took a lot of phone calls to the school board and talking to the principal and, you know, just pushing for something. Um, And I think a lot of the reasons why it took so much effort to get supports for him is because, you know, he's doing well in class. He doesn't really have behavior issues, but he still needed some support because he learns so differently from his peers. Yeah, it was very tough to get any kind of support. And really, even after the appointment where he was identified, they gave me like a one page report. They mailed a much longer one later. And that was it. Like, no next steps, no, here's some useful websites, nothing. It was just a piece of paper with his identification on there. So what is your background that makes you like so invested in, uh, because you said your website before was kids activities and you said you were a piano teacher. So like, is it all stemming from like an interest in teaching or what else have you done that has driven you to this? Yeah, this is a great question. I actually have a bachelor's degree in psychology and I really wanted to be a neuropsychologist. And then after four years of university, I needed a break and never went back. And then I actually worked as a nanny after my degree. And I worked with a boy who had sensory processing differences and that also spurred my interest. And then I took some special education courses one summer And I remember the textbook had two sentences dedicated to hyperlexia at that time, but obviously didn't mean anything to me at that point because I didn't have kids. So I've always been really interested in the brain. And yeah, so it just was a natural stepping stone for me to leverage my psychology degree and that interest and just start digging into the research and read everything I could about hyperlexia and autism and even just neurodiversity in general. And how did your website viewers respond to that shift in your content at the time? Did they follow you there or did you have to find a new audience? It's interesting because there were some people who followed me because I had shared so many like alphabet activities and number activities. And I think they already saw similarities between their own children with my son. And so the switch was really quite interesting because I had a lot of people are like, I've never heard of this. This is super fascinating. I'm going to follow because I want to learn more. But then you had other people who are like, oh my goodness, this is my kid too. And so, yeah, it was, it it just seemed very seamless. And I've had this website now for almost 11 years. So people have just grown with me and they shifted and followed. And my audience has always been like, a lot of parents, a lot of teachers, and a lot of therapists. Like it's pretty like evenly split. So 
all of a sudden you had these speech therapists who were learning about hyperlexia for the first time or teachers who were like, oh my goodness, I think I have a student who is like this. So yeah, it just, I don't know, it seemed seamless, I guess. And I, first of all, what a cool story between like you and your audience, but I remember learning a little bit about hyperlexia when I was in school, but unfortunate that anything that is in the realm of autism, when you learn about it, is it's going to be framed in a negative way first. And the only thing I remember learning about hyperlexia early on is it's reading, but it's not really reading. And that was it. That's all I remember. And someone who went to grad school with me might correct me. And I'm open to that because it's hard to remember those things. But that is like the thing that stuck out to me before seeing it firsthand and seeing how like a lot of the kids that I work with just like love letters like they just love it it like, makes them so happy anything that has to do with letters it's just like it I just and I love doing letter related things with them because I can feel their joy and like the excitement they get from it so it's such a bummer that that was the first thing I remember hearing about it. But let's take a step back and talk about what hyperlexia is. Because I mentioned before we started recording that I tend to oversimplify it and tell parents if they know what dyslexia is, that it's the opposite or like on the other end of the spectrum from dyslexia. But I know that it has to be more complicated and more nuanced than that. So can you maybe give us like the short definition and then get into the more nuanced explanation of it. And then we can go from there. Yeah, for sure. And I think describing it as the opposite of dyslexia is just very easy for people to grasp because most people are familiar with dyslexia. So the thing with hyperlexia is it is made up of three main categories or traits. And the first being that precocious self-taught ability to read and that usually appears before the age of five. So it happens spontaneously. We didn't teach them how to do it. They just one day start reading. Now, when we're talking about reading, we're actually talking about decoding. So they're really good at decoding things. Okay, right? Reading is meant to be more about reading for meaning and understanding, right? And that piece is missing with our hyperlexic readers. They're just good at the decoding part, but the comprehension and understanding of what they read can be a little bit behind where the reading ability is. Yeah, the, the one category of traits is that early reading ability. Then they have language differences. So things like difficulty with WH questions, like who, what, where, and when a lot of echolalia to communicate, the comprehension challenges. They even learn to read often before they learn to speak and develop oral language. So that's one thing you might notice that they read before they talk. And that's what I noticed with my own son, right? I had mentioned that part of the reason I sought an autism assessment was because here I could have this kid who could read and do math and all these wonderful things, but I couldn't really carry a conversation with him. He had trouble just you know, talking and communicating his wants and needs. So that's the second area. And then the third area that kind of separates hyperlexia is the social differences, right? They have an intense focus on those specific interests, like letters and numbers that you touched on. And that will become like most of their play. That's what they want to do. 
They are drawn to letters and printed words everywhere they go. Like license plates was a huge one. There are some risks that come with that too, right? All of a sudden they want to play in a parking lot, which isn't always a great thing. They're just drawn to the letters and numbers everywhere they go. So they have that really intense passion for letters. They have a strong preference for routine and they find social cues a little challenging to pick up on. And some of these obviously are going to overlap with autism because hyperlexia is so connected with uh, with autism, right? So most hyperlexic kids are also autistic. So that's why you're going to see some overlapping characteristics. But it's, again, that early reading piece that really separates hyperlexia from autism or other neurodivergence. So is there any theories for why hyperlexia is so often associated with autism or is it just a happy coincidence? That's a great question. I don't know if there's really any theories that have been proposed about that, but yeah, it's just in the research that they've always noticed that it seems to be connected to, you know, either a language disorder or autism, sometimes ADHD. I think Tourette's is on there. There's a lot of other things that can be identified alongside. It's just that autism seems to be the most common. And I don't really know why that is. I guess it's one of those things because saying that hyperlexia comes with social differences, communication differences, how do we even separate those things from autism? Because those are diagnostic criteria of autism. So it's almost like, should hyperlexia just be included as a diagnostic criteria? But then again, I don't know that all autistic people are hyperlexic. That's very interesting. And how often do we see kids that are hyperlexic that are not autistic? Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of research on hyperlexia to work with here. But yeah, it's very rare for it to be hyperlexia and not autism as well. The most recent research is from 2017, and they found that 84% of hyperlexic kids are autistic or have autistic like traits and maybe aren't yet identified, right? So the the link between the two is very strong. So yeah, it's very interesting that there's so much overlap, but yeah, you can be hyperlexic and not autistic. It's just pretty rare. Yeah, and from your description, it sounds like even if you are hyperlexic and not identified as being autistic, you're still going to have some of the traits that might look like autism. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Can you talk a little more about, because you brought up precocious reading, what are the major differences between hyperlexia and precocious reading? And why is it important for us to know the difference. Yeah, this is a great question because I was literally just writing a blog post on this exact topic yesterday and there's 10 areas where they differ. I'm not going to be able to remember all those 10 off the top of my head, but one of the biggest things is that hyperlexic reading occurs much earlier and much more intensely. So there's reports that hyperlexic kids start reading about 18 months earlier than a a precocious typical reader. So if you would say that age three is really early for a kid to start reading, our hyperlexic readers are going to be like age two, even as young as 18 months where they just start reading. 
then there's just other things like the intensity that I mentioned, right? They want to play with letters and numbers and do everything with letters and numbers all day long. Like it consumes, I would say like 90, 95% of their day. It's just so intense. Whereas a regular precocious reader might have more broad interests and they might have like, it's not as like deep and focused on those interests, if that makes sense. The dependency on written language is the other thing. For hyperlexic kids to learn language, they really need to see it visually and they need it written down. So they are just gravitating towards that and depend on it to understand the world around them. Whereas a precocious early reader who's not hyperlexic doesn't necessarily depend on that. And then the other big difference is obviously the comprehension. Usually if your comprehension levels and the decoding levels match, then you'd be more a precocious reader and not a hyperlexic reader. But if there's a like a gap between the level you can decode at and that comprehension, then that's usually where you're classified as hyperlexic. So those are some of the like key differences between them. But like I said, I'm, I'm currently writing something on that and there's there are like quite a few differences. And so a precocious reader, you're saying that they would read early, but also have the comprehension to match up with that. Yeah. Okay. Does precocious reading, to your knowledge, also happen often for autistic kids? Or is it more like this can happen with anybody in the population and it's not specific to a certain neurotype? Yeah, that, that, that's actually one of the differences. So I'm glad you brought that up. So usually like hyperlexia is identified along something else, but precocious reading isn't necessarily tied to one specific label, right? You might be just a gifted reader. You might just be neurotypical who happened to read a little bit earlier, but it's just not tied to any one thing. So why is it important for different people in the child's life to know that they're hyperlexic especially because I if I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of parent educator therapist and you tell me my this child is hyperlexic they love letters they love to decode but they don't have the comprehension necessarily of those words letters sentences why is that important for me to know? Because am I still going to be able to use those words as a teaching tool if they're not understanding them or comprehending them? If it's taking up so much of their day, should I try to get them interested in something else? What is the importance of knowing and understanding hyperlexia from your perspective? I think the most important thing is that it gives you just a better understanding of how they learn and interpret the world. And then you can make strategies that will really appeal to them and be helpful to them, right? You can try and talk away to your kid, but they might not really care. But as soon as you write it down, they're like, whoa, okay. So it's just about being able to like better connect with your child and you know, help them make sense of the world around them. Now, as for the interest thing, if this is consuming most of their time, like, should you steer them away to other things? Unfortunately, there's a lot of professionals who say you should take away the letters because it's taking up too much of their time. But when you do that, you're taking away something that is very special to them, obviously brings them an immense amount of joy. And to me, it's just, you're going to 
damage the relationship if you take that away when it is so important to them. And it's also just such an important way for them to engage with the world. Letters are literally everywhere. Numbers are literally everywhere. I remember going for a walk once with my son and he looks up, he's like six. And I'm like, what is this? And I look up and the lamp is labeled with a number. I had no idea, right? So he's noticing things that I wouldn't notice and it's just becoming a great way to connect with him. So yeah, to just discourage that or try to steer them another way, it's just like, why? It breaks my heart a little bit. Now, having said that, I know it's extremely intense and it can seem like your kid is never going to move on from that. But trust me, they will eventually move on to something else, right? Letters and numbers, for example, are a really good stepping stone to music because music is made up of math and letters. It's also a great stepping stone to learning other languages. A lot of hyperlexic kids are drawn to the Russian alphabet in particular. They really like that one. So they will move on to other interests and they just branches out naturally from those letters and numbers that, you know, are that first love. Another one is the periodic table. Lots of letters and numbers on that too, right? So yeah, if, if you have a young one right now who's just really into those letters and numbers, it can seem like, oh gosh, it's going to be nothing but these. But trust me, they do eventually branch out to other topics and interests. It's just try not to discourage it too much now. Try to encourage it and connect with them as best you can using those interests. I mean, you can put letters and numbers into everything you do. If you want to try and expose them to art, make art using number stamps or whatever, right? If you want to explore Plato with them, make, you know, roll the letters out of Plato. There's so many things you can do with these interests. You just have to get a little creative, browse Pinterest. There's lots of great ideas out there to expand those interests. I want to hear more about the Russian alphabet thing. I got so I latched onto that as soon as you said it. What do you have more to say about why hyperlexic kids like the Russian alphabet? Okay, I have no idea what it is about it. I, I don't know if it's the the way it sounds because hyperlexic learners are also gestalt language processors, right? So they're really drawn to anything with rich intonation. And I don't know if that's maybe why they're drawn to these other languages. I, I really don't know. Surprisingly, my son was never into the Russian alphabet. He was just always the English alphabet. And then he moved to learning French for a little bit. And then he moved on to numbers and never returned. <laughs> but yeah, the Russian alphabet just seems to be super common. Korean is another one. Yeah, I just, I don't know what it is about those languages, but they are drawn to them. It's awesome to watch though, because there's so many commonalities between these kids and how Russian just always seems to be that number one interest. <laughs> okay, so actually you brought up Gestalt language processing and I don't know if I've ever heard the, I think the only reason I was aware of a connection between it is because GLP is associated with autism, hyperlexia is associated with autism. So of course, they're all going to be tied together. But can you share about when did you start learning about Gestalt language processing and the connection between these two things? And can you talk more about what the connection is and why, if you know why, there's a connection there and how that influences your thoughts about hyperlexia? 
Yeah. So actually the first time I came across it was back on that day where I searched what is hyperlexia for the first time? Because there was this PDF from the Canadian Hyperlexia Association, which sadly doesn't exist anymore, but they have this really great PDF and they have this one section that they learn via Gestalt processing. And I'd heard of the term back in university in one of my psych classes, but I'd never heard it in terms of like language development until I saw that PDF. But was there any other information about it at that time? No, right? That it's only something that seems to be discussed more in the last two or three years, which is great. So yeah, hyperlexic learners are, they're, they're learning language via just a language processing. And so that can explain maybe why they find WH questions tricky, why they are mixing up pronouns, right? Because they are just echoing the language back that they hear. So you'll notice with hyperlexic kids that they'll say things like, they'll say their first name, like Diane, have a try instead of saying, I want to turn or whatever. And that's just because they're just echoing what they hear around them. They don't necessarily know how to switch those pronouns around. So that's really common in hyperlexic learners. You'll notice that. And I feel like the way they learn language also explains the comprehension part because they're learning these chunks and they're associating meaning to the chunks, but not necessarily all the individual words in that chunk. I don't know. It just, I find it explains so many things about hyperlexia, but I don't know any percentages or whatever, because there just isn't really much information about that. But yeah, it is a term that I saw right away when I first Googled hyperlexia all those years ago, I guess the 10 years ago now. Yeah. And it's just great that more and more people are starting to talk about it because I think that is also broadening the awareness for hyperlexia because people will learn about GLP and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, hyperlexia is the first time I've heard of it, which is great. It's awesome that more and more people are starting to hear about it and understand it. And um, yeah, it's great. I feel like I also want to know about the connection between the alphabet and the way that the language sounds. Because when you were talking about the Russian alphabet, you connected it to the Russian language sounds really interesting. And because hyperlexic kids are GLPs and that makes them attracted to the alphabet. Do you know anything more about the connection between hyperlexia and connecting the letters with the way that they sound and do you, do you get what I'm getting at yeah well it sounds really complex so I'm like I don't even know if we know anything about it yeah so it's interesting because hyperlexic kids still benefit from phonics instruction because mm. they skip over that stage a little bit or they just speed through it so quick right because all of a sudden you have this two-year-old who's reading right there wasn't time to learn phonics so that kind of touches on that a little bit but it's interesting that they're drawn to the alphabet as a whole, right? It makes sense if you think of what a gestalt is. So that's why they get really upset if letter L or P goes missing. Because all of a sudden that hole is not whole anymore and it's a completely new gestalt, right? So there isn't a lot of information on this, but it just it's really fascinating to look at it from a holistic perspective and see how does being a GLP impact their play and their understanding of how words come together because they aren't necessarily assigning sounds to all the letters they just look at a word and go yeah that says cat or that says pterodactyl they can just recognize the pattern of the word 
if that makes sense. So I don't know if I really answered your question or not, but. I don't know if there is an answer to the question. I'm just, it's more like a thought. There's just so much that we still have to explore with all these topics. And calling back to what I said at the beginning, if we stop immediately seeing them as, oh, this is something an autistic kid does. So we need to not, we need to make them not do it anymore. Then it opens up so many avenues for asking more questions and learning and I love to do that. So, (laughs) and and I do too. Right. And then that's what I try to encourage people is just to get curious, forget what you think, you know, about autism and all this, and just throw it out the window. There's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done because even just about understanding how kids learn to read our understanding of that shifts dramatically. When you learn that there are hyperlexic readers out there, you're like, this kind of goes against everything I know about how kids learn to read. Kids aren't supposed to read at two. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's happening. So yeah, I think just as a parent, as a teacher, as a therapist, you just have to get curious and learn things and be open to learning new things and trying new things because there are no manuals that teach you how to raise a hyperlexic kid. You know, there's, there's no one way to do it. And most advice in parenting books and stuff do not apply to our kids because they have such a unique learning style. Can you share some of your favorite activities that you've come up with or that you've seen for hyperlexic kids? Oh, honestly, my son's favorite was calculator riddles where I would write out a question and he would have to type in a series of numbers on the calculator and flip it upside down and read what it spells. And so it was like a really fun way to target like questions and answers too, but He loved that. We all did it in like elementary school and high school, right? We thought it was hilarious to spell hello or something inappropriate. So he really loved activities like that. Dice were huge for him, still are huge for him. And he's 14, like he loves dice. But when he was really little, we used to just do scavenger hunts around the neighborhood looking for the different letters, just looking at different license plates. He used to love walking just around the street and just tracing any parked cars. He just loved those. Yeah, just any karaoke type things where the words would be going. He loved that kind of stuff. And just spending tons and tons of time spelling words with letter magnets. Like I I still have right beside me here two of his letter magnet sets and I can't part with them. He has not played with them in years, but there's just so many memories attached to those and so much joy attached to those because he literally spent hours and hours spelling and organizing and writing out things on everywhere. Like your floor looked like a ransom note sometimes because there's just like all these sayings everywhere. Like one of my favorite memories was I came down the stairs into our living room and it says clean up spelled out in these colorful letter magnets. And I was like, I did just tell you to clean up. So I mean, it makes sense, but it's just like, do I need to clean up? Are you telling me I need to do that? So yeah, just, you know, just tons and tons of letter play and just went through so many letter toys. It was ridiculous how many we owned. (laughs) Any kind of word game they're really drawn to because it's just, it's fun. It it leans into those interests. And I remember we used to play ABC board games and stuff and Zingo, all those because they have written words and he just loved it. I think you can even get, I don't know if you're familiar with the board game sequence, but they have letter ones and whatnot. There's so many good games. If you're really not sure how to play with a hyperlexic child, literally just 
go and buy an ABC book, an ABC board game. There's so many things nowadays that just will appeal to our kids because print is everywhere and they yeah. love it. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't know if funny is the right word to use, but because sometimes I think it can be a downfall of the way that toys and stuff are created for kids is like, they are really focused on a lot of academic things, yeah. which is letters and words and colors and shapes. Yeah. And for me, of course, if a child is authentically interested in letters and words, we're going to encourage that. Yeah. But a lot of the toys are geared towards that, even when it's not developmentally appropriate. And I feel like parents get really fixated on wanting to make sure that their kids know their letters at an age that's not really appropriate. And then it's, it almost feels like they want to see it when they're not seeing it. But then once they see a big fixation on letters then they get concerned about it and they're like not sure what to do and they want to drive their kid away from it. Yeah. And it can also lead to a lot of judgment from other parents, right? Because you have people going like, well, you must have taught your kid to read. You must have drilled them with flashcards. And it's like, no, I didn't. So I find a lot of parents shut down and kind of minimize their kids' abilities because they don't want to come across as bragging or, hey, look what my kid can do, right? Because yeah, it just, it happens so naturally for our kids and it's developmentally appropriate for our kids because right. that's their interest, they, that's where they're at. But yeah, it's, it makes toy shopping easy though, because <laughs> there are so many options for our kids. And sometimes those toys aren't necessarily open-ended, but they're still perfect for our kids because you'll find that they will find ways to make it a little bit more open-ended and you can kind of even use those toys to make it a little bit more open-ended, right? Like you can take their letters and make it go down a slide, right? If you have a little playhouse or something. So yeah, no, it's just interesting that when you brought that up about, you know, the pressures that a lot of parents have to be like, make sure my kid knows their letters. But at the same time, it's like us, we're getting judged because, oh, you must have drilled them with flashcards. It's yeah. And like I said, parents will downplay their kids abilities because of that it's an unfortunate reality and then it also leads to teachers not believing us so when you get to preschool or kindergarten you're like yeah my kid can read and they're like oh yeah sure that's what all parents say and it's like no like really my kid can read and then they don't believe you until they see it in action and then they're like hey did you know your kid could read and it's like yes I tried telling you so it's I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting experience and very eye-opening, especially if your hyperlexic learner is your firstborn, which is the case because you're just like, I don't know what normal is. Like this, I don't know, both my kids taught themselves to read. I'm like, I don't know if learning to read seemed easy. I don't know what you guys are talking about. You know, so it's just like completely different experience, but it's their development is so different than what you see in those developmental charts and milestones and we just have to kind of disregard those because our kids are just growing on their own path. And unfortunately, you won't find that path anywhere in a textbook or a parenting book. Anyways, I feel like I rambled on there. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. So can we get into talking about some specific supports and strategies that, I mean, we can go, we can run the gamut of it if we need to, or there's probably some overlap, but parents, educators, therapists, what are some general... First of all, are there any 
specific interventions that you're aware of that we should either embrace or not use with hyperlexic kids? And then do you have any other general tips aside? I mean, we've already touched on a lot of really good ones. All all credit to all of those, but let's dig into it a little bit more. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with the interventions first. So first things first, if you suspect your child is hyperlexic, you want to go for an autism assessment. You want to go for a speech assessment. You want to go for an OT assessment or occupational therapy. Sorry, I should avoid the acronyms because not everyone always knows what they mean. Because if your kid is hyperlexic, they are likely going to need some support with language and even speech and communication in general. You also want to go for the occupational therapy assessment because a lot of hyperlexic kids have sensory sensitivities, right? Again, a lot of overlapping characteristics with autism. So it's important information to get whether or not you pursue regular speech appointments or occupational therapy appointments. It's more just to get information and then that way you know, okay, should I explore this avenue further? Music therapy can be really good for hyperlexic kids too, right? Especially because they're just all language processors. They're drawn to the music. So those are good options. In terms of like support strategies, there's two things I always like to tell most people. When in doubt, write it out. That is the most important thing you can remember with hyperlexic kids. You want to make it as visual as possible. You want to pair spoken language with written language. So literally start writing everything down. That might mean writing checklists. That might mean using social stories. That might mean putting signs up around your house or labeling drawers, labeling clothing so they know this one goes on the right foot and this one goes on the left. There's so many things that you can write out and label that are going to be helpful for hyperlexic learners because they're drawn to the reading and or sorry, the printed word and they'll read everything. And that's just one of the big hyperlexia mantras is that when in doubt, write it out. The other thing is just to really lean into their interests and their strengths, right? So when I say writing things down, you're leaning into that strength of being able to read. You're also leaning into that interest of the printed word and letters. Try to incorporate letters and numbers or whatever they're into everything you can, right? You can get really cool alphabet pajamas. You can get foam letters for the bathtub and they can sit there and spell things while they're getting clean. You can buy ABC shaped food. There are so many options, even just cutlery that has ABC on it. There's so many things. And then even when you're playing, say you're like, hey, I want to try and see if my kid will play something like magnetic tiles or Lego. Take a dry erase marker and start labeling them with letters or numbers. It's really easy to incorporate these these interests of theirs. So those are the two big things is to lean into the strengths and their interests and write everything down that you can. Another thing to keep in mind is to try and avoid questions and stuff when they're they're little and use more declarative language and just kind of, you know, making observations or statements and modeling scripts that they can echo back, right? Because a lot of time they're using a lot of echolalia to communicate. So those are kind of the the big strategies I would kind of point and highlight. Do you have anything to say about broadly supporting comprehension for kids as they get older? Yeah, this is the toughest area. It's one of those things that if you suspect your kid is hyperlexic right away, you need to start prioritizing comprehension in different ways. 
you'll find that there's a lot of parents who will be like, oh, his comprehension seems fine when they're three or four. That's because the task demands match their level and their abilities, right? If you're looking at a picture book, that's pretty straightforward. But if you were to plop a physics textbook in front of them, yes, they could read the words. Are they going to have any clue what any of that means? No, because they don't have the background knowledge. So that's what you got to do is build up some background knowledge, practice inferencing skills and like cause and effect. It's one of those things that you might want to work with a resource teacher, a special education teacher at school to see what kind of strategies they can implement in the classroom. You can talk with a speech language therapist to talk about some strategies that you can use. That's something we're still working on. You'll really start to notice these comprehension issues come to a head around the fourth grade. There's something magical at the fourth grade where, you know, all of a sudden reading is no longer just about learning to read. It's more about reading for understanding. And that's where you're going to see a lot more inferencing required more. We're trying to figure out what was the author's purpose of writing this? I don't know, just to write things down, right? Like our, our kids will just be like, uh, I don't know. But anytime it's like fact-based or whatnot, they're going to excel at that, right? They can absorb those facts like a sponge and just spit them out. So sometimes their comprehension difficulties can be masked by their strong decoding, their ability to remember facts. So it's just something to be aware of. There are some great resources out there. There's the hyperlexia therapy that works manual that has like lots of suggestions for language and comprehension. There's a book called drawing a blank which is funny that I was drawing a blank on its name, drawing a blank. The book has some like dated language about autism, but the book as a whole has tons of great strategies for helping hyperlexic readers with comprehension. That so many great resources that you just gave us there. And for anyone listening, I will have those linked in the description of the podcast. So you can check those out. So what I want to wrap up with is me <laughs> because <laughs> I have been trying to figure out pretty much ever since I realized I was autistic and thought back on my childhood, realizing that I was at the very least a precocious reader, trying to figure out if I'm hyperlexic as well. And I'm hoping that maybe you can help me with figuring that out. And I've already got my wheels turning with a lot of the stuff that you've already said. But if I came to you and were like, which I guess I am doing right now. Can you help me figure out if I am or was, although I guess it once hyperlexic, always hyperlexic, I'm assuming. Yes. How would you help me figure that out? So I think there's a lot of things you need to consider. You need to probably talk with your parents and find out what was I like as a toddler and preschooler? Did I just spontaneously read one day? What was my language skills like? Because if you can get a good picture of that, that will give you the basis of whether or not you're hyperlexic. If you didn't teach yourself to read at two or three or four, then you're probably not hyperlexic. But if you did and your parents were like shocked by this, that's already a pretty strong clue. Now, the fact that you're already autistic is another checkbox because usually it's identified alongside autism. Yeah, I, I do have a blog post about hyperlexia in adulthood that you could maybe look at and see, okay, do I notice some of these things in myself as an adult right now? For example, maybe you notice you read really fast. That seems to be extremely common with hyperlexic adults, even 
my son who's 14 comments about that all the time where he's like, yeah, I've already read the book three times. My class is only like 20 pages in because he reads so fast, which could maybe tie into why it's hard to understand what you're reading when you're reading so fast. So yeah, like I said, you're kind of already checking a couple of those checkboxes. If you read early, maybe you had some social and language differences, obviously, if you're identified as autistic. So I don't know if that helps, but no, it does. So, so I did teach myself how to read and it's a little bit fuzzy on exactly what that looked like. I was about three when my mom realized that I could read. She just told me this the other day. Um, and it's hard to say whether, because again, I was reading a lot of picture books. So it looks a lot like I am comprehending and I might have been because the pictures relate to what the words are. So the tat, like you said, the task demands are not the same as if I was reading a non-picture book. I know that I was like reading Junie B. Jones books by the time I was entering kindergarten. A lot of that gives me the feeling that I would be more along the precocious reading end of it because I also talked early, but I am at least a gestalt cognitive processor. Like I already know that, which would imply gestalt language processing, but I don't think that I needed, I never got speech therapy as a kid. So I never really needed support to move through the stages. Doesn't mean that I'm not. So there's all of that. I know that as an adult, and I, a lot of other adults definitely relate to this, like reading is just not something that I have a lot of time for. So in a lot of ways, I feel like I forgot how to read sometimes. But when I do read, and I've had this I guess problem or or characteristic since I was in high school and college. I read faster than what my brain can process. And for me, I don't know if that is a potential hyperlexia or executive functioning attention to task type of thing. Um, because I know that if I'm reading something more often than not, I'm probably going to have to read the paragraph again in order to like really get it. But as a kid, I don't know how much I had that problem because I could kill a book in a day. So it's, I feel like there's a lot of things that are like contradictory. I know that when I'm driving, it's almost distracting how many things I'm reading. (laughs) Any billboard that we pass, I will crack a joke about something on a billboard that nobody else read, Yeah, which who knows? I read license plates, but in the way that like, I will try to read it like it's a word. I can't think of an example right now, but if you show me a license plate, my first instinct is going to be like trying to read it like it's a word, which I feel like is really weird. No, Um, not weird at all. Because I remember when we got our license plate for our first vehicle, it was like GZR and all I could see was geezer. uh, Yeah. I can relate to that. Exactly. That's what I try to do a lot. And my mom asked me the other day, like, okay, well, even if you did know that you are hyperlexic, like what would difference would that make? in your life. And I was like, honestly, I don't really know. Like, I don't know that it would make any difference for me right now, but it would make the same amount of difference that like knowing about being autistic made, I guess, which is like, I know more about myself and that's great. The other thing is like, when I was a kid, I had definitely interests outside of just reading. Like I was exposed 
to reading really early on because my mom was a teacher and a reading interventionist. And so we just always had books. We always read. So that part of it makes me think maybe I was just a precocious reader because we just had a lot of books. I was exposed to it a lot. And I definitely had like my play schemas of things that I was really specific about, but it wasn't necessarily as far as I remember and as far as my mom remembers, not always related to letters. I don't know. All that to say, I need to read that blog post of yours because that'll probably help me out. But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about if I did know that I was hyperlexic? Do you think that there would be anything that would make a difference for me, like knowing that information aside from just it being nice to know? Yeah, I honestly... As an adult, it probably, like you said, is just more of, okay, good to know. That gives me a better understanding of my brain. Like, yeah, just having a term to describe what you're experiencing, I think is just so validating and so reassuring. One thing that like, while you were discussing all these things where you're like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I think it helps to think of hyperlexia as a spectrum like you would with Mm. autism. You're going to see a wide variety of presentations. You might have someone who read at two and was really into the letters, but you might have someone who started reading closer to four and was maybe minimally speaking and they didn't really have the intense interest. Like my friend Kelly, her son doesn't have the intense interest, but he checks all the other boxes for hyperlexia. You got to keep in mind that you don't have to check every single box. If there's enough present, you're going to be like, you know what, this probably is me. And I also like to say, trust your gut. If you're reading through all the traits of hyperlexia, you're like, yeah, that sounds like me. Mm, Yeah, I could see that. There's, there's some truth to that, right? Obviously, you, you see yourself in those traits. But yeah, as an adult, it's not really going to probably help you in any way, you know, (laughs) an information seeking process. And I think that kind of touches on the fact that hyperlexia isn't like an actual diagnosis or anything. It's Mm. a practical label that describes how you learn and how you interpret the world and how you think about things. But yeah, I don't know if that helps, but it just no, it does. It just kind of triggered that thought that it really helps to think that there is going to be all this variability in what hyperlexia can look like. It's just those few key traits that have to be present. And it sounds like a few of those were maybe present for you, right? Especially the early reading, right? That's the <laughs> most important part. That is such a good reminder because here we go with my characteristic black and white thinking of it either is or it isn't. And so I'm glad that you said that because it, it, it helps me too therapeutically because all the characteristics that you described earlier on in the episode, I have kids who fit that to a T, but then I also, like you said, have kids who have a lot of different interests, but definitely are strong with letters and words. And I may hesitate to bring up the term hyperlexia with those families, but it's probably worthwhile to bring it up because we can benefit them. I mean, I use a lot of AAC in my practice and I could probably do more with using more focus on words instead of just focusing on pictures for a lot of my kids, because that would probably be 
beneficial more than I realize. Yeah. And, and this is what I tell like other people who are like, I'm not sure if they're hyperlexic or just a precocious reader. It's the strategies you're going to use are probably still the same, right? They're still going to be really gravitating towards anything with the printed word and find that really motivating. So why not continue to use that regardless of whether they're hyperlexic or not, right? It's just you're playing to their strengths and to their interests. Yeah. Oh, that was another thing that when you were talking, I was thinking about like myself in middle school and high school and in English class, even though I knew I was a really good reader and I was really good at writing, when we would talk about author's intent and stuff like that, I struggled with that. But like thinking back on it, I don't know if it's just like being autistic, struggling with figurative language. Like I always thought that idioms were really funny, yeah. but it was just because of the picture that it would give me in my head. Idioms usually, if you think of them literally, are kind of funny. And yeah. so I think after it was explained to me, I would get it. But it wasn't like I thought it was funny because it's a funny turn of phrase. I would think it's funny because if you say like a handsome amount of money, I'm going to think about a stack of money with an Elvis hair on it. And that's like funny to me. So It's funny that you mentioned this because I remember driving once and my son was in the back seat and I said something like, oh, I have a frog in my throat. And he just like, frog in my throat like he must have been picturing like like I was eating a frog or something that was another one for me too that I remember laughing about and it's like I get it it's not that I don't get it it's that I it's more funny for the literal interpretation of it rather than but it's also a good reminder of like how everyone should be just speaking more clearly about what they mean. There are so many times where my son just looks at me and he's like, can you give me more information? Like something like, oh, can you go get something from my purse? And he'll be like, which purse? Where is the purse? And I'm like, okay, yeah, that would all be great information for you to have. So I think it's just a really good reminder about how sometimes no matter what someone's neurology is, we should just be like, so much more clear about what it is we are trying to communicate so that there is less confusion for people. Absolutely. This has been like a supremely educational past hour for me. So thank you so much for coming on and info dumping all of this amazing information. It's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun to talk about it with you and kind of hear your stories about growing up with potentially being hyperlexic or not but thanks for having me yeah before we wrap up so of course you have your website but where can the people find you online and is there anything that you have that you would like to promote in terms of other resources or speaking engagements or anything that you have coming down the pipe yeah, my website is annexcomesl.com, which doesn't roll off the tongue at all, but I'm sure you'll link it in the description. And then Instagram is usually where I'm the most active. And again, that's at annexcomesl. If you go to my website, I do have a free hyperlexia handbook that has information about what hyperlexia looks like, some strategies, both for parents and teachers. And I'm actually working on something new that might be helpful to anyone who's wondering, is my kid hyperlexic or am I hyperlexic? So hopefully that'll be ready by the end of the month. It'll be a a free tool where you can test and see, could I be hyperlexic or not? So yeah, might be helpful for you when I get that available too. 
That is so cool. Okay, I think that is, that's it for today. So again, thank you so much. And everybody, please go follow Diane and check out her resources. And again, just really appreciate you being here. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much again for listening to today's episode. I hope that you found it valuable. And if you did, please rate and review it wherever you are listening to your podcast right now. Please check out the description of this episode for relevant links and resources.